Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Pownell, and welcome to another AAEP Practice Life Podcast, where we try to get on the other side of what being an equine veterinarian is all about. And today we have a very special feature, and today we're going to talk about parenthood. And we're joined by three veterinarians, equine vets, who sort of give a bit of a broad exposure of our membership. So first off, I'll start in the south with Dr. Amanda House of the University of Florida. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And then we have in Pennsylvania, Dr. Gina Shade. Hi, thanks for having me. And finally, um, to give a full perspective, we have Dr. Ernie Martinez from Kentucky. Welcome all. Hi, how you doing? Good to hear from you tonight. So just before we go any further, let's start all over again and let's just introduce yourself. To, uh, uh, tell us who you are, um, what you do as a career, and tell us about your, uh, your parent life in terms of how many kids you have, what age they are, and what have you. So we'll start with you again, Amanda. Again, my name is Amanda House. I am 41 years old, and I am a clinical associate professor at the University of Florida's College of Veterinary Medicine. Um, my specialty is large animal internal medicine, and I was board certified in 2005. And then I'm also currently the director of student affairs for the College of Veterinary Medicine. I have been married for 11 years, just over 11 years, and we have two children. Um, Grant, our son, is actually turning five in two days, and, and Reese, our daughter, just turned three 12 days ago. <laughs> oh, wow. Excellent. You must, with all this, you must have your hands full. We sure, we sure do. We sure yeah. do. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll know, learn more about that in a bit. And so, Gina, tell us about yourself. Yes. Hi. Um, my name is Gina um, Tranquillo, and I am 34 years old. Um, I graduated from the University of Pennsylvania in 2010. Um, I then actually went on to work in Kentucky for five years and now reside in Pennsylvania. We decided to move closer to family. So I'm in a private practice, small group practice of myself and two other women. Um, we are a large animal practice. So um, I'd say 85% of our work is horses, 10% um, goats, and 5% sheep. So um, we're out of the Allentown area. And I am a general practitioner. I didn't go on for any particular specialties, except I did become certified in equine massage therapy and acupuncture for horses and dogs. Excellent. I have two children. My oldest will be four in January, who is Madison, our little girl. Um, and then I have a son, Harrison, who's a year and a half old, born in March. Um, so I actually was practicing in Kentucky when I had both of my children. We just moved up here about a year ago. So that's my story. And, uh, great. And finally, Ernie, tell us about yourself. Yes, uh, I'm, uh, I just turned 40. I'm a 2003 graduate of Oklahoma State. I'm a field ambulatory practitioner at Haggard's in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, I've been here ever since I graduated school. Um, my wife is also a veterinarian. She's a small animal practitioner here in town um, who does mostly uh, small animal emergency work. So we've got uh, some quite hectic, busy schedules. Um, 
I have two children. Eli is eight and Emmy is four. And uh, they keep us on our toes. Most of my uh, practice is um, ambulatory, can in include reproduction, herd health, uh, Marin Stallion, foal care, um, and a little bit of dentistry on the side. So uh, kind of got all the bases covered, jack of all trades, so to speak. But um, I'd say our biggest challenges are, you know, my wife's schedule and our schedule. So we've got our hands full. Yeah, I was just going to say, so all three of you sound like you have really, really busy professional lives, and then you have to be a spouse and a parent, so hats off, so let's let's dive into that, so um, Gina, let's start with you, what were your expectations of what life would be like as a working parent when you thought, yeah, I want to be a mom, what were you thinking was going to happen, how was it going to be? That's a great question. And I forgot to mention in my intro that I am married as well. Um, so I do have a supportive uh, husband at home. Um, so my expectation of life um, as a parent and a veterinarian, um, it was definitely skewed. I was a hard worker as a veterinarian before I had children, and I was very, very dedicated to my clients, and I wanted to uphold that. Um, but you start to, you know, really have to spread yourself out when you have children and really learn to put your family first because uh, no one else will. So when I envisioned having children, I guess I envisioned in having more time in a day, which never really happened, <laughs> to be able to accomplish everything that I wanted to. And so I had to make um, a lot of changes and I had to get a lot more relaxed about how I handled you know, life in general and not be so uptight and type A personality. And how about yourself, Ernie? I'm not sure what I expected. I think I was thinking about this as I was preparing for the call and I kind of, I remember when I graduated and started as an intern, I didn't have any kids and um, my wife was at an internship at another state. So I was here just to work and that's all I had to worry about. But I had intern mates who came from vet school with kids already and that was, you know, I could barely handle my job and he was handling uh, his job and his kids and his family. And I think, you know, I saw what he was doing. I saw what my buddy was doing. And I thought, oh, you know, I'll have kids and it'll be different for me and I'll be able to do this and I'll be able to do that. And I realized once um, once the kids came into the equation that, you know, I was they were the most important thing and everything sort of had to work around them and it wasn't easy so whatever I thought I was expecting or getting ready to getting ready for life um it just it wasn't that at all it was uh something completely different so a little unexpected a lot of unexpecteds and how about yourself Amanda yes I I agree um with what's been said so far I'm not sure what I expected and and I don't know if I really knew what to expect um we were my husband and I always kind of joked that we we thought we wanted children, but we were probably at about 51%, plus or minus <laughs> 2%. And um, we joke about that now a lot and, and joked about it with my mom. Um, I think it really has probably been one of the best and most impactful decisions that we made, but also one of the hardest. And I, I tell our, our students and, and others who are just going through it, that I don't think that you really 
no, you, you get a lot of advice, but I don't think that you really know how children are going to change your life until you actually have the children. Um, and, and every child is a little bit different. And so, you know, the needs of one or the challenges of one may be, may be very different than the other. So I'm not sure, <laughs> I'm not sure what we really expected. Um, I think it's been, been more, some things have certainly been a lot more challenging than we expected them to be. Um, but I think it's, it's overall for us, you know, we feel like it's been one of the most rewarding things that we've ever done. So Amanda, let's carry on with you. So, you know, everybody, I get the theme from everybody that, you know, the reality didn't, wasn't what the expectations are. And I, I guess that's fair. But what were the biggest surprises you found or, or that you have found as a parent? So I can tell you that my probably my two biggest stressors in work and parenting have been child care and illness. Um, we are in in Gainesville, Florida. I work for the University of Florida. And so our families, um, my, my family, I'm originally from New York State. Um, my husband's family has relocated um, to Gainesville, but um, they're, in an, they're in a retirement community and they're not really able to actually provide us with any, any assistance with our children, more than visiting with our children. And so we, um, my husband's actually in the financial services industry, and so when we started off, we felt, um, you know, strongly and for financial reasons that we were going to go with daycare um, as a child care option for our son. And I am fortunate to be at a university where we do get a fairly generous vacation and, and sick leave program so that we can, so that I could take, um, I took um, initially about 10 full weeks, 10 and a half weeks with Grant before he went into daycare and promptly got respiratory syncytial virus. And so, um, the, the, for us, um, our son, unfortunately was just, was not on the, on the good end of the bell curve in terms of wellness. So he spent about 16 months in daycare with us going to the doctor every other week and having tubes in his ears at seven months old and at, at 16, wow. at 16 months of age, we had to remove him from the daycare because he just could not stay well. And he has asthma now. So he has had some complications from the RSV. And so, um, we, we, at that point in time kind of got pushed into, um, getting a nanny for our household. And that was probably the best decision for our household that we could have made. And so we've had a, a full-time or more than full-time nanny ever since. And our daughter has had a nanny since she was born. And now our son goes to preschool part-time and our daughter just started in preschool part-time this year as well. Um, but I think the, for us or for me personally, some of the biggest stressors have just been that, I mean, the childcare, the, you know, worrying that, that everything is going to be okay when you're not there, the illness factor, and then just, just all of the things that are not in our, are not in our control in the process of raising young children. And sometimes that feels like a lot. Well, I guess that sort of is a great segue just to carry on with Gina because you talked about that sort of this whole thing has sort of given you the sort of 
you know, some things that were really important to you have taken a backseat. So I guess uh, it changes your priorities. So what was the biggest surprise you found as a parent, Gina? Um, I guess along the same lines um, as Amanda, similarly, the child care, but from the sense that, you know, my child was going to be spending a good part of their day in childcare, you know, being taught a majority of foundations from someone else. I mean, of course, I would be parenting at home and on the weekends and things, but a large portion of their learning is also really happening there. So just really entrusting and taking the time to pick a good um, church, institution, academy, wherever you choose to send your child. Um, I really interviewed them very hard and um, put a lot of time into that. Um, the stressors, the, also the stressors of childcare, you know, being closed on holidays. And so we don't always get all holidays off of work. And so having a spouse that, you know, is also in a job where he may get holidays more so than I do um, to be available with the children because you have to have alternate child care for them on those days. Um, an illness, similarly to Amanda, just from the sense that child care passes around a lot of bugs. And, you know, I had my son one week where he woke up on a Monday morning after being on vacation for a week with pink eye and he absolutely couldn't go to school. And going to the doctor Monday and then Wednesday because it wasn't improving the way I thought it should be. And then Friday and ending up with a sinus infection. So, you know, having uh, employers and other veterinarians that you work with be sympathetic and have empathy towards, you know, the needs of your family and your children and being able to tend to them, obviously. Um the other biggest stressor for me has been on-call time, um, especially I am in a three-doctor practice right now. The other two women are um, owners, and one has children and one does not, um, and I am an associate in that practice as of now. And so I get two weeknights a week and every third weekend, so to speak, um, but putting your kids to bed some nights with your phone in your pocket, trying to turn it on vibrate when you're putting them to bed so it doesn't ring and wake them up and trying to have to walk out of the room if you do get a phone call, you know, in the middle of putting them to bed. My kids are really attached to me when it comes to bedtime and I probably didn't help with that. But, um, but that's a really tough tough, uh, spot for me to be in as a parent when you really want to like be able to nurture and, you know, be supportive for them at, at a time like that. So, you know, uh, just playing with them outside and knowing that you've got to have your phone on you. And definitely when I'm not on call, I mean, my phone is often turned off and put away and, you know, things like that. But, um, the on-call time is a really huge nerve wracking stressor for me, um, in my family. So, um, I know everyone can deal with that differently and some better, some are better at, you know, removing themselves or kind of turning it off, so to speak. Um, but our clients expect us to be there for them and, um, you know, they have concerns too. So, so it is, a good thing that this practice that I am in now, um, they do have an answering service. Previous to me being there, all the calls went directly to the veterinarian. Um, 
So it is nice that they're filtered a bit, um, but that is, that's a big stressor for me is the on-call as well as the childcare and illness and other things mentioned. Yeah, and I want to get to that part you're talking about, the needs of the, of the, the clients and patients in a bit, but uh, I think that's a critical aspect, and that's one of the questions I'm very curious about. But Ernie, what about you? What was your big surprise uh, as a parent? I think that they hit on the two big ones, the child care and trusting someone else to watch over your child. We, so my wife, when our first, when Eli was born, um, she would be, she would work emergency shifts. So that would be either a weeknight or a weekend, which was a long shift. And then um, taking care of some of the large thoroughbred clients that I have, they're quite demanding and almost expect 24 seven service. Um, no matter what time of year or what day of the week it is or what else is going on. Um, so meeting those demands and trying to make sure that um, the kids were taken care of and what were we going to do with the kids after hours if Elaine was going to work. So we ended up, we were fortunate enough that my mom was able to move here um, to kind of help us and live with us and be here basically, you know, 24-hour nanny in-house so that, if I had to get up in the middle of the night and go to a call, I could go if Elaine was gone. And so we were fortunate in that regard. So childcare was, was a huge concern and we were fortunate to find that way around it, but you know, not everybody is. And we did, when she wasn't able to be here, we would, we tried a couple daycares and it sort of worked, but we were uneasy about it. And then as Eli got older, the one story was he went to a different a different school or a different place and he drove by the original place we were at and he goes I didn't like that school it was scary and so it just tears you up and you know Elaine says you know he was never going back there we're never going back there we're gonna have to go to this other place or find something else you know so those kind of things really can really tear at your heart um and then the on-call um and like Gina said always having the phone around you can you know, that can wear on you and your kids can see it and, you know, you can miss out on some stuff. So that's a big challenge. You know, it seems like from the three of you, I think the, a common theme is that, you know, is having great support within the family. Um, and I think that I, I'm just trying to think of how somebody who has a family and their family is, you know, parents or other people that can be part of the, the caregiving and upbringing is across the country. It must be tremendously difficult for people. I, I think it is a big challenge, and, and I agree. I mean, with the call, I, I smile a little bit when I say this, but I sometimes think that the on-call was, was just as stressful or even more stressful um, for my husband um, than it was for me because for him, me leaving um, at 2 o'clock in the morning to go to the hospital with an infant that was frequently awake um, was just a ter terrifying thought that he did not really... Um, that he did not relish very much. And, and even, you know, when I'm on, when I've, you know, been on clinics and I come home to try to spend that time in the evening with the kids for dinner and to put them to bed, you know, I'm often talking to the resident about our cases that we have in the hospital. When we have critical cases, it is hard to really disconnect for that time. And I, 
and I do, you know, I feel that I'm not fully present. Um, and that's really hard. Those of us that work in a university setting, I think are fortunate in the, in the sense that we do have, you know, we do more of a shift work schedule. So most of us do, you know, weeks on clinics or blocks on clinics and then have some time where, where we're not doing that, which I think can, can be really helpful, especially with small children. Um, but even now I find that my, my children say to me at three and four, you know, put down the phone and stop doing, you know, stop doing work. And, that makes me feel a little bit bad because as director of student affairs, um, I'm doing a different kind of emergency duty, <laughs> but sure. it's sort of emergency on call for almost 500 students that we have in our college. And so like the, you know, like equine emergency duty, some nights are very quiet and, and other nights are not. And, um, and it's, it, it breaks your heart a little bit to hear them say that. She kind of touched on something that, you know, we, the four of us might not think about because we are the equine vet parent side of things. And then there's the other non-equine vet parent that might have, you know, they can't understand, you know, well, why can't you just turn your phone off or how come you have to go to that call? And that can just, I can see it on my wife. You know, she, you know, she's a vet and she's still super frustrated that, you know, we're always on call and we're always trying to take care of our clients and that, that can really frustrate your spouse or the other yeah. half of the equation. So, and you don't necessarily have to answer this or you could sort of deflect it a little bit, but have you ever been in a situation where you had to, you know, you had to risk losing a big client or an important client because the need of your family was paramount and, you know, did you have to say to some client no and, and feel the wrath of that? I haven't had to feel that the rat. I've had to say no a couple of times. I've had to um, on nights where I couldn't have, I didn't have anyone to cover the kids while they were asleep and I wasn't available. I'd have to call, you know, my large thoroughbred clients and say, you know, I'm not available tonight for folding emergencies or a folding problem or anything that colic or anything else, because I don't have anyone to watch the kids. So I have to either line up and find someone that they're comfortable with and make sure they're still covered so you still have to you still worry and you probably even worry more about it then because then you're not there and if someone else takes care of your case or your client and something bad happens you know it's just another another stressor for the next day so well yeah anybody else have anything on that um i mean i have a comment just a a couple hitting on a couple of those points is that you know, one of the things that I like in this practice um, that's a lower stressor for me where I am now is that the clients are the practice's clients, although we still want to take care of them equally. They're not my clients. And it's a different type of work than what I had before, which I was in a production-based medicine, similar to Ernie, you know, commission-based and everything. And now I've gone to like a base salary plus commission. And so, you know, there is definitely a lot more I'll just say cutthroat aspect to a complete commission-based practice where, yeah, you want to make sure that those big thoroughbred clients stay happy, that they keep calling you and that they don't call the veterinarian right around the corner um, for sure. So that's put a little bit of ease in my mind being in my current position where, yes, I'm keeping everybody happy, but I am managing their expectations actually mm. probably still above and beyond you know, what they really 
get around this area. Um, and then I'd say just like Ernie, yeah, if you have to have somebody else cover for you, like you have to send an intern or another vet or a younger associate, you always stress about, you know, the kind of service they're going to deliver and are they going to practice the same kind of medicine as you or pull something out of their bag of tricks that the client's not going to have any idea really what's going on. And then, you know, you're going to have to manage all that the next day. It's nice where Ernie is because, I mean, I can comment because I've been down there that, you know, if it's a true emergency, usually they can get them on the trailer and get them to the clinic like pretty quickly and right. take care of that. Um, around here in our neck of the woods, that's usually a really last resort. Um, so just a couple comments on that. Yeah, that's that in good insight. I was just going to say a, a story to share around that. It's a little bit different in academic practice since it's not as much those big clients relying on on one individual. But um, my colleagues in internal medicine, none of them have young children. And so I worried a little bit how the transition would be for me having a family and working in the hospital. And when my when my son was about 10 months of age, I was on call um, for the clinic. I was on clinics that week. And I was getting home late, and so we had a babysitter working because my husband was working late. And she went to take our son um, out for a walk in the stroller, and she pushed the stroller um, out the front door of our house. And we have three steps up onto a wraparound porch and then kind of a a concrete um, walkway. And when she turned around to close the door, she said that... um, our dog got very excited. We have a Labrador, saw another dog, <laughs> burst out of the front of the uh-huh. home, hit the stroller, and my son, basically, the stroller flipped over onto the concrete where he landed on his head on the pavement. And um, and so <sighs> we had to, it was funny, I called the emergency service and they said, well, if he's not unconscious, we're not sure that he needs to to come in and I said I I work across the street and I'm quite sure when you see his forehead you're going to tell me that he needs a cat scan or an MRI and so um, we brought him in and and he did you know they evaluated him and of course did think he needed a cat scan and um, at the same time my resident is calling me to tell me that we likely have an equine herpes virus one neurologic case um, being referred into our equine hospital, which our resident at the time is not going to be able to admit without a faculty clinician. And, and for me, that was just the whole experience was really quite gut-wrenching. Um, I had to call all of my colleagues. Nobody was really available. Um, one agreed to be available, but actually was committed to something else. And we were fortunate in the fact that my son didn't fracture his skull and that the equine herpes case ended up staying on the farm um, and not coming in. But the sort of the, the mental anguish and sort of just the gut-wrenching experience I went through trying to manage both um, was really challenging. And, and we kind of have joked about this in the past, but I've always kind of said to my husband, you know, if I'm on call for the hospital, especially, I mean, I covered Thanksgiving week last year, if I'm the primary, you know, senior clinician who's going to be covering, then 
that is really emergencies in that hospital are going to basically be my top priority beyond a hospitalization emergency of somebody in my immediate family. And so we've always, you know, operated that way. And he's known that he kind of needs to, needs to step in in those circumstances where it's not, you know, an absolute critical emergency, but, but sometimes boy, sometimes they test you and those circumstances can, can really be more, more difficult than we want to admit. I bet. I bet. So let's, let's, let's shift gears a little bit and let's go to the, um, being pregnant or expecting parent. So if I am a coworker or a client, what kind of tips would you want to give to me as terms of how best to, to work with you when you're expecting? I'm going to sit this one out. <laughs> <laughs> how about you, Gina? Let's start with you. Sure. Um, just looking at this also from uh, the aspect of I had a really great mentor who was pregnant before I was. So that was really impactful for me about how to manage this. Because when you're having your first child and you have a lot of responsibility with your job and a lot of, um, again, client expectations to manage, it can be very overwhelming. And so um, she was an excellent mentor. She helped me set personal guidelines for myself, um, what I should and shouldn't allow myself to do. Um, over communication with your clients, I think is super important. Um, organization from yourself, um, to your clients to know how things are going to be handled. Um, basically keeping them, you know, up to date on the progress of things, you know, not necessarily how every ultrasound went, but you know, that you're doing well, you're on track, you know, this is your due date. Um, this is your plan for who's going to help cover your work and make sure that they're okay with that and that they feel comfortable with it. So I involved my clients in helping to make the decision as to who was going to cover work for me when I was on maternity leave, because you're obviously not going to put someone in there that they dislike or that they don't get along mm -hmm. with. And at the time I was working in Kentucky and I was fortunate to be, um, at Haggard and working for a large practice in the ambulatory department with a lot of other um, people to call on veterinary wise, actually. And so um, everyone really was willing to add a farm here or there to their schedule, be available if there was an on-call. And so pretty much mapping that out, I had both of my children in, um, one was in January, so right before, right you know, at the beginning of breeding season and one was in March. So I am definitely not one that planned around breeding season. A lot of women down there plan in October, November, December, you know, I didn't, um, I let God happen, make it happen the way he wanted it to. And so, um, I had a really good supportive network from other veterinarians who helped step in as well. So, I just felt like I, commun I communicated and tried to over-communicate with my clients. I involved them in some of the de decision-making process that happened as to who was going to cover. Um, I tried to be overly organized so that I could keep them up to date. I basically made it an email list um, of everyone and all their contacts. So I had them at like a drop of a hat. Um, I over-communicated with my employer so they knew exactly what my plan was and made sure we were all on board together so they weren't left in the dark as to what was happening either. Um, 
And, and I think those were some of the key features for me that helped make it at least in my mind, successful. So, so as an ambulatory practitioner, I mean, how did you deal with things like, you know, taking x-rays or having to deal around hind limbs on hormones? I mean, how did you handle that? Great question. So I probably pushed myself to do more than I should have done at times. Um, I can remember at one time I went out to a miniature horse who was a boarding and, um, this was in Kentucky. So it could have been anything zoonotic as well. And, you know, I had a bit of a belly on me and, um, she was laying down and not getting up. And I was literally laying on the ground behind her trying to palpate this dystocia to try to get it out. And after a while I was like, I think I need to call somebody else. So, um, yeah, uh, x-rays, I would say, you know, similarly to what the doctor tells you, you know, you're doing the same amount of activity level as when you have, you know, just become pregnant, as long as you're not increasing that. I still lifted the same amount of things out of my car. Um, we had the Eklund machine. And so, yes, that was a little bit heavy. So I didn't quite put that in my car. I got some assistance for that. Um, but I would squat and take x-rays. I didn't want to hold the plate. Mm -hmm. I felt comfortable doing that. I think it depends on how many x-rays you're shooting. I wasn't shooting like, you know, um, many sales sets on yearlings and things like that at the time that I was pregnant. So it was the, you know, the foot here and there, the hawk, the whatever. They were isolated cases. Um, so I still did that. I made sure that my employer provided me with some extra monitoring tools when I was x-raying. So there's an additional badge you can get to wear under your mm. x-ray vest to um, monitor. And so they would send that out for me. Um, ultrasounding was still no problem. Um, I gave most medications. I was careful with some of the hormonal drugs, things like that, lutelice, you know, um, things like that of that nature. Um, I still floated teeth. Um, I still did lameness exams and flexions, um, wrapping legs. It depended as long as I trusted the horse because you get to a point when you get down and it takes you longer to get back up. So once I got further along, probably in the, towards the halfway to the end, obviously of the last trimester when, you know, your belly is really kind of getting in the way, I eliminated colics from my work um, because you can't always predict the behavior that they're going to have. Um, I started to eliminate hemorrhaging mares in the type of practice I was in because they can be very dangerous. Um, I eliminated tubing horses, even if it was routine tubing for transport, um, just because I had some young horses in my practice, you know, so striking and things like sure. that, your belly is right there. Sure. Um, and I think those were probably the biggest things. I had lots of people that told me I shouldn't take x-rays, but like I said, because of where I was in the you know, the minimal amount of x-rays that I really had, I just went ahead and I, I went ahead and did those, but I can't think of anything else that I really made huge changes to. And if I felt like I ever needed assistance, I was fortunate enough to try to be able to have an intern or a young associate, um, come help me and kind of tag team it together. So I just made sure I had help. I'll just say in our, our, our practice, we've had a couple of uh, vets who are pregnant and we don't have interns and we're, you know, a lot of sport horse, a lot of x-rays and we just trained our technicians. 
And so each, you know, there's about two or three technicians at our practice that can do full set of x-rays and everything. And our vets would just hang around the corner and the techs would do all the work. And, and, and like you, at a certain point, they just said, I am not going to do emergencies anymore because I can't do a hind limb lame, uh, you know, laceration or colic. Right. It's just, I'm in a bad position. Yeah, I got to a point too, like I said, with the colics and things where I would only do laceration if it was like below the elbow or below the stifle, you know, sometimes you got them on the neck or the chest or something like that. And then I'd say probably if it was more of intensive x-rays or more intensive workup, I'd probably just ask, uh, refer it to either the sport horse or the surgeons, um, at Haggard, you know, when I was there because they had, uh, they had the capabilities to move around the horse a lot better than I could, you know, so. How were your experiences with that, Amanda? You know, I I have to say that being in an academic environment, my experiences were a little bit different. Um, It sounds like Gino is really a superwoman out there um, and and really was, uh, all of your advice I think is excellent and really spot on with, especially with regards to just the communication with, with everybody, with the clients, with your colleagues, um, with your supervisor, um, making sure that you're communicating what, what you're comfortable with and, and what's going on. Um, with, with regards to the things that I do in our hospital, we are a little bit protected in the sense that we can work up colics and stocks a lot of the time. We have a resident who is usually assisting us. Um, for neurologic cases, um, severe neurologic cases, I was a bit um, more careful with those. Um, especially in late pregnancy. Um, but my colleagues were also very gracious and, and did much of the clinic work um, from my you know, late seventh month until, until right up until I delivered. Um, and so I think that um, communication around all these issues is really important. And when I was out at the barn, actually, that's sort of one of the, I joke, one of the last times I was riding my horse when I was six or seven months pregnant, there is a physician out there who um, has a horse herself and and is a is a friend of mine at the barn. And she saw me out there and I was, you know, and it was hot in the middle of the summer and I was getting on my chaps, but not quite, you know, getting them buckled. And she said, we were talking about pregnancy and, and careers. And she said, and, and I think was trying to politely refer to me. She said, you know, I I have a lot of a lot of patients who feel that pregnancy is something that they need to overcome, um, with regards to their career. And she said, you know, you should remember that it's, it's not really something that you need to overcome. It's, it's something that you're going to experience for, for these nine months and you should try to, you know, make the most of it and not, and not think about it as something where, well, I can still do this and I can still do this and I can, Mm -hmm. and put yourself in any, Jeopardy, and I, I guess after the fact, I've considered that to be um, to be good advice because I think we often we often do think of it as something we're trying to overcome from our career perspective, trying to make sure we can do everything beforehand that we you know do everything when pregnant that we did before, and um, you know I. I I, I assist in the management of the curricular schedules now of many veterinary students who are actually experiencing pregnancy during veterinary school and during their clinical rotations. And so we have some policies in place um, 
at our college around that and, and different options for them um, with regards to specific rotations and management of, you know, what, what they're comfortable with and, um, and what they may not be. And so I think it's, it's still going to be something that's case by case. I, one of my sort of funniest memories is when I was about six months pregnant with my first pregnancy, I was mostly looking like I was like a little bit fat actually, and not necessarily looking like I was really pregnant. And I was with our resident in July in our isolation facility, taking in just a horrible colitis case. And it was our air conditioning in there wasn't working. And I was all gowned up, which was sort of contributing to, you know, loosely gowned in all of the um, barrier protective wear that we have to wear in isolation. And I was, I just could not thermoregulate. And I was just Mm. sweating profusely. Mm. I mean, sweat just every pouring down my face, my chest, my, and the technicians were looking at me and they said, oh my gosh, Dr. House, we're so sorry. Can we pass you some towels? And the client wasn't sure, you know, what was going on, but I did seem to be (laughs) sweating more than everybody else in the room. And I sort of joked with her. I said, oh, you know, I'm sorry about this. I'm not usually this sweaty. I'm actually just six months pregnant. And, you know, we all had a laugh about it. It was one of my more uncomfortable recollections during my, you know, being pregnant and practicing, but it was something that we all, you know, just tried to have a sense of humor around. And I think that, um, you know, communication around all of these issues is, you know, around pregnancy and practice is just going to be really important so that everybody feels safe and hopefully satisfied with the experience that they're getting. Great. just want to, um, you know, one of the things I've been getting here from listening to the three of you talk, and, and I will say right now, I, I do not have children, so my jaw is dropping as I'm listening to you because I know with our own vets and myself, I mean, it's enough to just get through the day as a vet, let alone having that responsibility of a parent and thinking about your kids. So the question I wrote down for myself is to ask you, and we'll start with you, Ernie, is how, who takes care of you? Like, how do you... <laughs> decompress how do you just chill out for a little bit you know because you've got demanding clients you've got uh you know more important family you have a you know children spouse i mean how do you take care of yourself um that's a good that personal wellness balance piece is another good ball to talk about um for me it's athletics or sports of some sort but the trouble with those things is just finding the time to squeeze them in where they can fit into the client demands and the, once you're a parent, the parenting demands and then, you know, the spouse demands. So I found myself, you know, playing tennis at 10 o'clock at night um, in a men's league where I, you know, the kids would be asleep and then I would leave and I would call my clients and say, hey, you know, so-and-so's covering for two hours. I got a tennis match. Um, it was, you know, just for me, that's, the, that, that's, my, that's my stress reliever and my outlet, but you got to have something everybody needs their own little space, their time, their activity that, you know, lets them decompress so they can, you know, keep juggling all these balls that equine veterinarians have to juggle. Sure. What about you, Gina? Yeah, I don't think that that I have one specific, say, activity um, that I like to do, but I would say that um, one person presented to me a thought at one point in my life saying, do you want the money or do you want the time? And 
I think about that all the time. Um, and this was pre-children even, but once I had children, it really solidified the fact that I wanted the money to a point that I could pay my bills and pay my loans, <laughs> as we all have, um, but that I really wanted the time. And so part of my change in work came because I was gaining a day off during the week. Um, so I work a full-time four-day work week and I have Thursdays off. And so my goal for that day was either have a day with my kids or have time for me. And I actually made, you know, at a point I'm so anal retentive sometimes to a point that, you know, it's on my schedule to have one hour of me time, um, on Thursday or at least one hour during the week. Um, whether that means, you know, I have acupuncture treatment for myself or a chiropractic treatment, or I just have time to sit and read a book or read the JAVMA magazine that I never look at. Um, you know, something like that where it's just quiet time or watch a TV show. I never watch TV. Um, you know, just something to do outside or go garden or anything. Um, so you really have to mentally put yourself there to put yourself first um, because no one else will do it for you. And I think as a woman and as a mother, you're constantly, at least for me, I'm constantly taking care of everyone else that yes, you can't forget to take care of yourself. So you need to mentally remind yourself of that a lot. Um, so I think that that is really important to give yourself time. And there's a huge amount of mom guilt that goes into every day. You know, you're just, you're guilty because your kids are going to eat goldfish for dinner one night because you really don't feel like cooking anything. Or, you know, they're watching a movie instead of being stimulated over here with something, you know, um, more appropriate for their age group. But, um, exactly. Yeah, mine are watching, mine are watching Tom and Jerry so we can talk on the phone. <laughs> mine are watching Annie. So, um, yeah. So I think you have to really, uh, just take one day at a time and make sure you give time for you. It's funny you talked. Well, it's not funny, but you, you know, you mentioned uh, mom guilt. And I, when we had a couple of our associates a few years back who were pregnant, I was like, I need to understand this because I want to make sure I have a work environment for them. And it was the first time that we had, you know, pregnant vets, anybody pregnant in the practice. And I spoke to several friends of mine who have had kids and they all said the same thing was, Actually, the being the pregnant part is actually the easier of the mm -hmm. before and after. And mm -hmm. then after, they said the mom guilt is the worst. And you yeah. won't appreciate it yeah. until it happens. And that was, we're lucky in Canada, um, uh, uh, moms get a year off. Wow. Yeah, so, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, as, as a practice owner, it's like, how are you going to fill that space? But, you know, it's, I, you know, I think it's good that they have that time off. Some of them mentioned they wish they could space it out and maybe have six months later on when the, when the children are older so they can spend some more time. But anyway, yeah. Amanda, what do you do for yourself? How do you take care of yourself? Well, I think I'm not very good at it actually. <laughs> and, um, to, to, to be very, to be very honest because my, um, one of my, one of my mentors and, and best colleagues who I actually love very much is 
Margot McPherson, um, who's the current vice president of the AAP, and she has two children herself. And we joked about this when I said I was going to do it. She said, well, I'm going to need to give you advice beforehand because I, I worry that, you know, you're not very good at your own personal work-life balance. You're you're working a lot, and, and then you're with the kids. And, and currently, actually, as director of student affairs, one of the things that I oversee is wellness programs for our students and manage student wellness and, and you know, all of these, many of these issues that we've discussed against um, around veterinary mental health and wellness. And so I could do, personally, I think I could do a better job with this. Um, mom guilt is a big issue for me um, because I do, I work a lot of hours and I think, um, Right now, I guess one of the ways I've maybe rationalized this is that, you know, my children are in with a nanny or, or in some sort of school program, child care nanny for generally over 50 hours a week, um, sometimes more. And that when, when I am home or available, I, I want to spend most of that other time that I have with them while they're young, because we're, they're currently spending a lot of time having other people, um, do a lot of that, that teaching and time. So I try to make the most of the quality time that I have have with them. What I like to do very much for myself is I do have a horse. I have a, a lovely thoroughbred mare who's now largely retired. And so, um, I like to go riding still. Um, she was a show hunter. And, um, so I still like to go for a hack and kind of enjoy a ride out there at the barn. And it's something that I've occasionally now started to incorporate, um, incorporate the kids into that activity because they enjoy getting pony rides and, and going out to the farm. And so that's something that I have tried to maintain, although, you know, to be frank, not as often as I would like. Um, and then I'll also agree that I do like to try to maybe get an hour of television that I shouldn't really watch a week, like something along the lines of million dollar listing or house hunters on HDTV or something just sort of mindless that I enjoy that I find that, you know, now that I have young children, you know, I listen to the news in the morning on NPR or when I'm in the car. But other than that, I'm not um, I'm not keeping much in touch with any of the um, you know television programming or any of the things that I used to enjoy watching or reading before I had kids. <laughs> Ernie, I have a, I just a question for you, and specifically towards you, is that we just you know talked briefly about mom guilt and you know a lot of murmuring that yeah that's real. Is there dad guilt? I think that I have the dad guilt in when we go to do something that, you know, dad's always on call and dad can, you know, sneak out or leave, have to leave at, you know, any point of an event or we're driving two cars and dad's always driving by himself because he's got to have the work vehicle with the ambulatory equipment um, available all the time. So dad, dad follows along by himself and the kids ride with mom and we get out and we, you know, do whatever we're going to do. And dad might have to take a call or leave, um, if necessary. So that's the dad guilt I have. The I kind of rationalize the, oh, maybe the excess hours and the overworking veterinarian life to kind of a means to an end to provide for the kids so they can do all the things that I want them to do. And, you know, probably all of us, you know, wanting to have, you know, our kids to have a better life and have all the opportunities. And so if I have to do this or work this way, um, 
while it might not necessarily be the smartest way to do it right now, you know, it's, it's kind of a means to an end and it provides for my family um, pretty well so we can do what we do and live like we live. So that's, I don't know if that's the right way to rationalize it, but that's what keeps me going. Yeah, no, that's fair. And Mike, I, I was just going to say that my, this is Amanda. My husband and I have the, have had the discussion quite a, quite a lot about mom guilt versus dad guilt. Um, because <laughs> I, I don't feel that he has the same guilt as I do. And I think he's better at prioritizing going to the gym and doing things for himself than I am. And I find that I have to be careful because that can really create resentment, um, in our relationship. And, and we talk about that sometimes because we're, we're definitely, you know, in the thick of that really challenging, you know, early childhood years with two people in careers and the importance of prioritizing, our relationship and not just our family can become something that we're, that we're not very good at. And he, he really tries to make sure that we take some time to refocus on those things and sometimes have our nanny, you know, (laughs) try to do it more than once a year where we have our nanny (laughs) stay, stay with the kids um, for a night so that we could either go to a wedding or, or have a night, away um, so that we can so that we can kind of have those conversations and and occasionally we've tried to do lunch dates um, where we both you know we've already got a nanny here and and try to take that time um, if we can do it during the day um, to just to have an hour or or a little bit of time to ourselves as a as a couple because that's for for us that's been one of the things that I think has really um, been a struggle for us and a a challenge in our dynamic with two young um, very active and not very sleepy uh, children. (laughs) (laughs) One last question. This has been great. Uh, Gina, we'll start with you. What one one piece of advice you'd give to a young vet who uh, wants to start a family? Okay. Um, Well, it's funny you've narrowed us down to just one because I have a whole bulleted list here. Um, So... I guess if I had to pick just one. All right, two. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Take as much maternity leave as you can with the job that you're in because you're never going to get that time back. Um, I was able to. I think if I can interrupt, if I can interrupt, I'd probably say that's the same. That's good advice for dads, too, (laughs) whether you're the dad vet or the not vet. Part of it is if you can get a couple days to get off work and be there for the delivery in the next couple days, which are the most probably trying days of your wife's life. Um, if you can get off and be there for more than just the delivery, be there for a couple days to help out and assist and just, you know, help your wife. Um, it'll make you all stronger for the, for the next 18 years down the road. <laughs> Good point, Ernie. Yeah, yeah point. definitely take as much maternity leave as you can. Um, And just know that you're not going to get that time back. And I would say, you know, feel financially stable. You can never predict what costs children are going to bring to you. Um, There are statistics out there. Um, But like someone Amanda alluded to earlier, different children have different needs, you know. And so um, 
my brother's in the middle of that right now with an autistic child mm. and spending tens of thousands of dollars on special schooling and he's only five, you know, but he's really advancing and doing well. So they're making that work, but trying to be financially stable. Um, and um, my last bit that I just wanted to mention for moms out there, I was introduced to a great Facebook group um, called Moms with a DVM Life in the Trenches. And it's a closed group for just moms or soon to be moms. And people throw comments and stories and venting out there. And it lets you know that it's not just you. And everyone's going through this. And sometimes other women out there are having far worse days and far more struggles than you are. So, um, it puts things into perspective sometimes that, you know, life may seem hectic, but it's really not so bad. And it also allows you to just really cherish what you have, that some people are, you know, they're struggling and having issues way more than your family is, you know, so just to be grateful for what you have. But it's great um, just to feel comforted by the fact that other people are going through, other women are going through this. It's not just you. And they offer tons and tons of support. So um, I really enjoyed being a part of that group and reading other women's stories as mothers. Um, so that's what I would contribute to my advice. Thanks. And how about you, Ernie? I think, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, you probably get asked the question, you know, are we ready to have kids? We're not sure if we're going to be ready. I mean, nobody's ever going to be ready for kids. So if you're thinking you want to have some kids or have, have a child or two, I think you just have to take the leap of faith that um, when you get – the next challenge down the road, you'll be able to figure out some daycare. You'll be able to figure out school. Um, so you just have to take that leap of faith, dive into having kids are the best thing that could possibly happen to anyone. And yeah, those first couple of years are going to be tough, but we're kind of getting to the point now where, you know, my son's eight and my daughter's four and they're, they're so much fun. They, you know, like Amanda said about taking your daughter to the, to the barn with your horse, getting to do the things together that you like to do, teaching my son to ride his bike so we can go on bike rides together. Um, they're just the best thing. So if you're thinking about kids, you know, you're, you're probably not ready, but you're probably never going to be ready. So um, right. just, you know, jump in, take that leap of faith, and uh, they're the best thing ever. Great. Can I just add to Ernie's comment? Sure. Detailed onto mine. I just, this is meant to be positive, but I've been surrounded and having my children with so many close friends that have difficulty getting pregnant and that are not veterinarians and have um, so many struggles. And I don't know if I really even know the whole magnitude of their struggles, but I was fortunate to um, get pregnant easily. And it's just such a blessing that if you can have children to, to do it and you'll make the rest of life work, you know, and, um, you'll make the rest of life work. And I think, you know, your practices and your bosses and your associates and your fellow veterinarians at the practices, they'll make it all work and your clients will make it work because chances are they've got kids too. And like Gina said about the Facebook group, they've all been through it or they've been through it worse. Or maybe they've got grown kids and they've seen it all. And they might be one of your best resources. So 
it may be tough and a struggle, but you'll get through it. If you can have kids, have them. Last word, George, Amanda. I mean, this has all been just such great advice so far, and, and I agree with, with all of it. Um, I got pregnant um, when I was a little bit older, I guess, or they called me AMA, which is advanced maternal age. Um, so if you're over 35 and you're having kids, <laughs> that's the category that you're that you're being put in these days. And I, I do think that there were some advantages for me, um, for being, um, an advanced maternal age. And, and that is that I, I think in many ways I worried less about things that, um, the common societal pressures that they put on mothers and families. And so what I tell people is, do what's right for your family and for your children, because all of the press is going to tell you that you need to do X, Y, Z, or you have to breastfeed and you should do it this way and that you've got to make it work for you. And, you know, what I tell people is that there's, there's a lot of different reasons, but not everything works for everyone the way that we want it to work out. And sometimes I think it's important to, be flexible and know that you might have to make changes and the plan that you had for your pregnancy or your delivery or your children might change. And so, and that's okay. And, and remember that you just have to, in the end, you have to do what's right for, for your family and, and to try to be grateful and enjoy the moments. I, I tell my husband that, um, I often feel like he's rushing it all away, that he's ready for our children to be grown up and, um, you know, on their own doing some of these small chores that can become very time consuming and (laughs) very tiring as parents. And I say, you know, someday everybody says that we'll wish for these days again. And he, I'm not sure if he will or not, (laughs) but I think that, um, but I think that I, I do try to, as much as possible, um, enjoy all the just day-to-day moments. I don't enjoy every minute of it because I, I think some of it is impossible to, and I have one or more children in timeout um, for doing naughty things to the other. Um, that's that's not necessarily enjoyable as a parent, but I I do, um, I try to remember to be grateful every day and, and not to wish, you know, wish for them to be grown up because I know, I know in my heart, it'll go by, um, faster than I, and I want it to. So, well, thank you all three of you. This has been, uh, uh, an excellent hour. And, uh, as, as a practice owner, I'm the insight I've gotten from this is incredible. So I, and I'm sure other people listening to this will, no matter where they are, whether they're wanting to be, uh, have a family, have had a family, no interest in having a family. This is just fascinating and a great discussion. And I thank you all for taking the time because I know you don't have very much of it. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Amanda. Thank you, Gina. Well done. Thanks, Amanda.